All right. Daniel chapter 3. When my mic is on, Daniel chapter 3. So we'll be this morning. Grab your Bibles, turn there. Daniel chapter 3. My last month-ish has been a little crazy. But I'm glad to report that all my travelings and uh, and whatnot have uh, are over. So I will be here. <laughs> um, it's good to be here. Have you ever been in a moment where you've been praying, asking God for something specific, asking God to you know maybe act in a certain way, do a certain thing, maybe. Maybe you have been praying for a, a friend uh, that God would heal a friend or a family member who are fighting for their life in the hospital. Or maybe you've been praying for uh, a friend or a family member or somebody who uh, isn't saved and they were going to come to church for the first time in a long time and, and you wanted to pray that God would save them. Maybe you've been praying for courage to do the right thing at work or someplace in your life. Or maybe prayed for God to heal your marriage before it's too late and it falls apart. And then you're in that moment of waiting, right? Like that that moment in between, that moment where you wait to see how God is going to respond. Is he going to do the thing that you've asked him to do? And in that waiting, it's really hard, right? Like in that moment in between where you wait to see, it's really hard. And while we're in that moment of waiting and singing, we have to trust God, have faith in God. Those moments of trial, those moments of crisis, those moments of tests for our faith, they happen often in our lives. They're not uncommon. All of us in this room have had those moments and we will continue to have those moments, those moments of decision sometimes. Sometimes those moments come with a choice. Will I in this moment of crisis or difficulty or trial, will I continue to be obedient to Jesus? Or will I give in and capitulate to the world? Will I take the difficult road of faithfulness or will I take the easy way out? Will you risk much in the face of trial or will you cave under fear of the unknown? In all of these moments, will we stand and have faith? Will we act if we need to? Will we trust God if we need to? This morning, we're going to look at what faith looks like in the fire to what faith looks like in the moments of decision the moments of crisis you see we just like daniel and his friends find ourselves in what we've called modern day babylon we live in a country in a land that does not hold our values does not hold our beliefs and increasingly finds what we believe and stand for to be problematic and so tests of our obedience tests of our faithfulness to jesus will only increase And so in moments of trial, where do you place your faith? The obvious answer is obviously, well, we place our faith in God, right? We we trust and put our faith in God. But I think often we mistake what faith actually looks like, what it is, how it works. And because of that, our faith, while we think it is in God, is actually misplaced in something else. This morning, Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are going to face a moment, a moment of crisis, a moment of decision. And their response teaches us about the true nature of biblical faith and what biblical faith is and what it is not. The three friends, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been elevated to a high position. And everything was going well. Everything's going great for them. When King Nebuchadnezzar throws a curveball in their life, and he decides that he wants to make a giant statue of gold and force everyone in the kingdom to worship this statue, this idol. And so he makes a decree. When you hear the music play, and he lists all these instruments, when you hear this music play, everyone must stop what they are doing, look at the idol that I have created, and bow before it and worship it. You see the problem. The problem is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they believe in one God. And their one God has some very clear commandments, what we call the Ten Commandments. You know, worship, have no gods before me, and to worship no graven image. And make no idols. And so these three friends cannot in good conscience worship anything or anyone other than God alone. As they refer to him in the Old Testament as Yahweh alone. But also remember, these the Jews, the Israelites, they are slaves here in Babylon. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have uh, been, grand, been lucky enough to have been granted high position, to be wise men in the council of the king. And so they are high-ranking officials. They have, they have political power and political sway. They are wealthy. They, they have everything going for them. And so to make a stand on an issue, like bowing before a statue, could cause them to lose everything. Not only their riches and their political influence, but their very lives. And they would be thrown into the fiery furnace to burn and die as the consequence for not bowing to the idol. The king said that anyone who does not bow to the idol will be thrown into the fiery furnace. So, what do they do? What do they do? Do they bow and keep all the things that they have? Or do they take a stand? What are they going to do? Let's read together. Daniel chapter 3, verse 15. The king has caught Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing, not bowing to his statue. And he brings them before him. And he gives them one more chance. Maybe, maybe there was some confusion in the order. Maybe you didn't get it. Maybe you didn't understand. So he brings him before him, and he's going to play the music again. And here's what happens. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand O king but if not but if not be it known to you O king that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up this is the word of the lord man this is awesome like this is this is like this awesome moment right there. They're staring at the fiery furnace. They're staring down the threat of death. 
And there is no certainty to how the situation is going to play out. Are they going to remain faithful? Are they going to remain obedient? Are they going to do what they know is right? Or are they going to capitulate? Are they going to think it's too scary? It's too hot. They can't take death. And so are they going to bow? It's a moment of spiritual crisis, a moment of testing their faith. And the story has this great lesson for us about the nature of faith, what it is and what it isn't. In moments of doubt and stress and crisis or even hope, what is faith to look like? What does obedience to Jesus look like and what does it not? So, three things that biblical faith is not. Three things that biblical faith is not. First, biblical faith is not trust in the quantity of our belief. Biblical faith is not trust in the quantity of our belief. How do you win the World Series? How do you win the World Series was the question asked decades ago to two pitchers of the Mets, who at the time were the darling underdogs to win the World Series. They were given really not very much chance at all to win. They were the underdogs, and so they were asked this question. How do you guys win? How do you have a chance to win? And they both said to the reporters, you got to believe and it took off and it blew up. The phrase has been marketed in advertising. It's been seen in movies and in commercials. Right then, Jif Peanut Butter picked it up and talked about how they make uh, their peanut butter. It's a little, you know, it's some nuts, a little bit of magic. And at the end, you just got to believe. And so it's, it, it took off decades ago. And it has trickled down into our culture. It has trickled down into this thing that we believe. That if you believe enough, if you have enough faith and belief in yourself, good things will happen. If you believe enough, you can make your dreams come true. If you believe enough, your team can go and win the big game. And that idea hasn't just stayed in our culture. It has wormed its way into our hearts as we apply it to our faith in God. So we take, what happens is we take verses like Matthew 17, 20, that most of us will be familiar with, that talk about that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, that you can tell the mountains to move and they will obey you. Christians take verses like this and say, okay, well, if I believe enough, if I have enough faith, if I can garner up enough belief and faith in my heart, then anything I ask for or ask to happen, God will get it done. And so what do we do? We almost act like an athlete who, before the big game, has to psych themselves up. And we, we try to work up all of this courage, of work up all of this faith, work up all of this belief. And then also at the same time, purge like all the doubt, right? Purge all the skepticism, purge all the ideas that it might not go the way we've prayed and asked for it to go. And so we pump ourselves up with faith and purge all the doubts. And hope that it'll go that way because our faith is so strong. One of the problems here is that when you do that, your faith isn't in God. Your faith is in your ability to have enough belief. And really, it is the worldly idea of the power of positive thinking. That if you think positive things, positive things will happen. If you purge negative things, negative things won't happen. And there's nothing Christian about that. And here's an even bigger problem. What happens 
When you do this, when you psych yourself up and you pray in faith and you believe so strongly that you've asked for this thing and God will do it. God, heal them, remove the cancer. God, preserve them. God, save them. And you believe and you purge all doubt. What happens when you do that and God doesn't answer? Is either that God wasn't powerful enough or your faith wasn't strong enough. And that was exactly what one mother faced when she was running late for a really, really important doctor's visit. She had the kids in the car with her and she was going and she knew she like had 10 minutes to spare and she had to stop at the store really quickly because she wasn't going to have time to stop on the way back. And so she's going, knowing she's got to make this appointment and she prays. And she prays that God would, would uh, make sure that there was a parking spot right in the front. Because if there was, she could park, get out, let, leave her kids in the car, grab what she needed really quickly while she kept an eye on the kids and was able to get back to the car. And so she, she did, did just that. She tried to purge herself of all doubt, believe really sincerely, have muster all the faith that she could and pray that God would make sure there was a spot right in the front. And as she pulled in to the place, to the shopping center, there wasn't a parking spot anywhere near the front. She had to park all the way in the back, take her kids all the way inside, and she was late, and they canceled the appointment, and it ruined her day. Later, she would tell this story through tears to her pastor, asking, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my faith? How is it that I didn't have enough faith to make this happen? She made the mistake of thinking that faith would grant her the outcome that she wanted if only she could create enough feelings of faith inside of her. But faith is not about that. Faith is not a mind game we have to play with God to appear confident enough before him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are described in the book of Hebrews as men of great faith. But yet, as they face the fiery furnace, they confess they do not know what's going to happen. They do not know how the situation is going to turn out. They weren't sure if God would deliver them or let them die in the furnace. They didn't know if rescue was coming yet. They didn't know the outcome. Yet still, the Bible says they had great faith. You see, biblical faith that we need when we face moments of spiritual crisis it's not faith based on the quantity of how much belief we can muster in ourselves, but it is, it's not just a quantity, right? Because that can mislead us. That's not what we need. But also, faith is not trusting the quality of our belief either. Faith is not trusting the quantity or the quality of our belief. What do I mean by quality? I mean the thought that God will bring our desired outcome to a situation if our desire is righteous enough, if it is holy enough, if it is in God's interest enough. You see, sometimes we can be so convinced that a particular course of action uh, is in God's favor. It's, it, it serves God's interests, right? It's for his sake. It's for his glory, his namesake. And so we expect God to answer it in the way that we prayed and asked for, because after all, it's what's best for him. When I graduated high school, I went to community college for a year, and I was, I, I knew for certain that I had the clear, clearest moment in my life of being called uh, to be a pastor, to preach the gospel. Uh, the one thing in my life I knew was that I, this is what I was going to do. 
but I didn't know, I didn't know what the word seminary meant. I, I didn't know what I had to do next. And so I went to community college for a year while I tried to figure that out. And the only school I really knew was Liberty University. And it was the big, cool Christian school. And I was convinced that that's where God was going to send me. And so uh, I, I believed it was. And, and the problem was, is that it cost a lot of money that I didn't have. And, and but, but I believed and I prayed and I mustered all the belief I could. And, and, and I believed that because uh, I would go there and I'd learn all these great things and be this great preacher for God, that he would do it. He would make it happen, that he would send some rich guy in my life to pay for it. Or that the school out of the blue would just call me and go, you're so awesome. We just want to give you a full ride. It didn't happen. He didn't answer my prayer. The cost was never covered and never went. But I thought that because I was doing it for him, that my prayer was holy enough and it was in his best interest to send me to the school I wanted to go to to learn about him. I'm reminded of so many times praying for friends and family or loved ones who are fighting for their life in a hospital, whether it be after a tragic accident or a battle with cancer or some other thing going on and praying that, you know, even after the doctors have come in and said, there's no hope, you need to say your goodbyes or it doesn't look good. Even after that, still praying, God, work a miracle. Because wouldn't that serve your interests? That if you just flexed your power and like fixed them, that the doctors would go, we don't know how this happened. And like hit their knees and worship and go, there must be a God in heaven. And so we pray, right? Like that God would, would heal them to, for his own glory because the people would know that he exists because he is the only explanation for why this person made it. Wouldn't people getting saved be a good enough reason for God to answer this prayer for me so that he would get more glory and more people would know him? What's wrong with that? Does not the quality of my faith matter? What I'm praying for matter. Even if it's a little selfish, is it not also godly? You see, having a better faith or having a faith in particular godly outcomes is not what biblical faith is. The Bible is full of men and women of extraordinary faith who had so much go wrong in their life. Ryan read, as we started the service, a list, a litany of people who were sawed in half and burned alive and burned at the stake and tortured and killed, who had great faith. Think of Paul, the guy who writes most of the New Testament, second most of the New Testament, who had tremendous faith. This dude healed the sick. Paul raised the dead. He wrote scripture, and yet God saw fit to never release him from prison that he might continue his missionary journey. Like, wouldn't it be easy to go, God, release Paul. Like, he's led all these people to the Lord. He's led all of these churches. Let him go on a fourth journey to plant more churches further out. It's, doesn't that serve your interest, God? But yet he lets him rot in prison and then die with the sword. Not only that, but, but before that, Paul talks about how God gave him this thorn in the flesh that there was this thing in his life we don't know exactly what it was but it's something that so bothered him and hindered him and he asked God to remove it to remove this thorn from the flesh to remove this trial this hard thing in my life and God said no he said no he said that my power is made perfect through your weakness deal with it 
Even Jesus, through agony, sweating blood, prays to the Father, let this cup pass from me. Don't make me go through the cross. Not my will be done, but yours. And God says no. And no one has stronger faith than Jesus. We don't trust in the quality of our faith. We don't trust in our ability to, to know the right spiritual outcome and think, God, this is the best thing for you to do. Now listen to me because I am so wise. Listen to me and do this thing. Biblical faith does not mean that things will always go well in the end. Who are we to know best? Our perspective, our vantage point is so incredibly limited. We can only see what is right in front of us in one particular moment. And one, we see one fraction of a percentage of the equation of the things we ask for. And we want God to bring our particular outcome as if we were so wise. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not trusting in an outcome. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not trusting in the quality of their faith to predict the right thing that God should do and ask for it. They do not say, God will deliver us from this fire. They never say that. They say, God is able, which is certainly true. But they express their lack of knowing what God will choose to do. Their faith is not in the outcome they think would best serve God and his interest, right? Because it would be easy to convince yourself, God, shut down the fires, you know, this hasn't happened yet, but like like uh, like Elisha would do with you know in the in the on Mount Carmel, thank you. Quench the fires and then the king will bow and worship and then he'll force everyone else to worship you. It'd be easy to think that was the best outcome, but they don't put their faith in an outcome. Whether it's quantity or quality of faith that we are trusting in, both of them are not biblical faith. Both of them are faith in God, they're faith in faith. And we don't place our faith in faith, we place our faith in God. We don't latch on to outcomes. See, here's the thing. Faith is not trust in outcomes. Faith in God is not trust in outcomes. God didn't answer my prayer to go to Liberty University. And I'm so thankful that he didn't. I'm so glad that he knew better. I ended up going to a cheaper school that I still haven't paid off, but it was cheaper. And they're private loans, so Biden can't even pay them off. <laughs> but I went to a cheaper school, a school that I now know and believe was significantly better. I met my wife there, which gave me my kids. It completely changed the trajectory of my life. Ryan, you got to get it together. <laughs> See, I'm glad God knows the situation better than me. See, learning to trust God's wisdom above our own is not easy. It's really, really hard. Through that experience, I learned something. I learned that my job, through the experience of my college situation, I knew that my job wasn't to know the end of the story. My job wasn't to know the end of where God was taking me. I learned that my job was simply to be obedient in the next step that God was giving me. So often we are afraid of the unknown. What's coming in the future? We, get, we can't see it, and we're so scared, and we don't know where God is leading us. But all we're called to do is to see the next clear step that God has given us and step out in faith and trust and obedience to what he's doing, and then know that he's faithful to give us the next step, and know that he's faithful to give us the next step, and eventually we'll end up somewhere that we couldn't see from here, but God could. God could see it. He's faithful to give us the next step. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced the fire knowing that their chief duty was to be obedient to God. Their next step was to not bow to the idol. They didn't know what the end was, but they did know what the next step was. The next step was to remain standing, to not bow when the music played. They knew what their next step was. They knew what obedience and faithfulness looked like, though they had no idea where it would lead them next. They knew that that decision was above their pay grade. Their job was obedience. God's job was the end of the road. Their job was to keep their eyes on God and follow him. See, they did not tie their faith to favorable circumstances. Rather, they responded to their circumstances in godly ways. See, faith is truly seen in how we respond to crisis, not in believing how things will turn out. Faith is seen in how we respond and handle crisis, not in our belief or prayers about how we think they ought to turn out. Biblical faith is not trust in outcomes. Rather, biblical faith results in our being faithful to him and being obedient to him, not in telling God what he should do next. And, and I want I, this problem, this problem of having faith in outcomes hits a little closer to home than I think we might realize. I think it's easy to think, oh, I don't do that when every one of us in this room have probably done this. But this, this, this problem hits a little closer to home. See, there are several churches in our area and around the country who have slid into what some are calling the new prosperity gospel. This idea that if you trust Jesus, he will remove your depression. He will remove your anxiety and your addictions or even your cancer. I listened to one large local church in our area say this phrase, when Christians walk into a room, leukemia disappears. I listened to them sing and worship and every song be about how Jesus was going to bring healing, fix their struggles, fix their pain in their life, remove their addictions. I listened as there was no mention of a bloody cross or a resurrection, no mention of sin or forgiveness, not anything central to Christianity, but these things tangential or next to Christianity about healing, about fixing me. Things will get better and easier. And I wanted to scream. I wanted to go rip the mic away from this man and say, but what happens when Christians walk into a room and leukemia stays? What happens when Christians walk into a room and you've got to continue battling the addiction for the rest of your life? What happens when you pray and want a certain outcome and it doesn't happen? What happens when God gives you a thorn in the flesh and he leaves it there? And he doesn't take the battle away, but he says, I want you to keep struggling because my power is made perfect in your weakness. What happens when God is silent? You've mustered up all your faith and said, God, do this thing. And he says, no, keep fighting or mourn. What happens when you get the phone call that your son or daughter was in a car crash and you rush, rush to the hospital calling all of your friends on the way there? Pray, pray, pray. They're in a car wreck, they're in the hospital, I'm on my way, pray. And you walk into the room and you can see the look on the doctor's face that you didn't make it in time, that they're gone. Is God the problem or is your faith the problem? 
See, this teaching isn't off in the distance somewhere. Being t- it is being taught to our friends and to our family and churches in our backyard. Big, prominent churches. It's coming to us through social media. It is a huge problem. When you teach people that if they have faith in Jesus, enough faith, that bad things, the hard things in their life will go away. What happens when they don't? We need a Christianity. We need a gospel that can handle disappointment. We need a gospel that can handle prolonged, lifelong addiction and struggle. We need a Jesus that is big enough to handle pain and suffering and death. Because if our gospel and our Jesus is not big enough to help us walk through crisis and and suffering and pain, then when those bad things come and they don't go away, either God's the problem or my faith is problem. Either way, it results in us leaving the faith. Let me say something clearly. Believing that faith in Jesus will prevent or remove hardship, struggle, loss, pain, difficulty is a false gospel. It needs to be crushed. It is a poison destroying people's lives and their churches are filled right now in this moment with people singing about a God who will take away their troubles and they haven't stopped to consider what if he chooses not to? What if he's given you the trouble for your good? It breaks my heart because it sounds really good to draw a crowd, but it destroys people's lives. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? If faith is not trust in outcomes, and it's not about how much faith or how good my faith is and what direction it's pointed, where do we go from here? If that's not what faith is, what is the right kind of faith? What does biblical faith look like? Well, let's look again at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will. He's able, but then he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God to worship the golden image that you have set up. The thing we learn about biblical faith is that it is not in outcomes, it is in God. It's not faith in faith, it's not faith in outcomes, it's faith in God. You see, the power of faith is not in faith itself, the power of faith is in the object of the faith. The power of faith is what your faith is in, not itself. You see, you can have the strongest faith in the world, but if you place that faith in Buddha, it would be useless. You can have the strongest faith in the world, but if you place that faith in Allah, it would be useless. You can have the strongest faith in the world, and if you place that faith in modern science or philosophy or anything else, it would be useless. The thing that gives you power to face crisis isn't the strength of your faith. It is the object of your faith. It is Jesus. And our faith is in God. It is not in a desired outcome. First thing you got to see is that faith is trust that God is able. When we face crisis, the first thing you have to understand is that God is able. Notice what they say. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. They are not shrugging their shoulders saying, oh, well, whatever will be, will be. They're not Eeyore going, oh, bother. You know, oh, well, oh, shoot. I guess we're going to die. They're not doing that. 
They believe that God can save them, that he can quench the flames. He can do something to deliver them. He is powerful enough to do so. They look back over the history of their country and their people and have good reason to believe this. They look back at their people and know the stories about how the God, their God, parted the ocean for their people to walk through and save them from slavery. They know about how God led them by a giant tornado of fire by night and cloud by day. They know about how God made water come from a rock when they were thirsty and how bread came from heaven when they were hungry and how quails fell out of the sky when they wanted meat. They know that God stopped the Jordan River so they could cross through it. They know that God is able to do these kinds of things from their history and in their own life. They know that two chapters earlier that they ate vegetables and water and yet they grew strong and, mu and muscularly, muscularly and that God gave them wisdom. They knew God had the power to do these things. And so there are times, there are times that God can do this. There are, there are situations where somebody has been brain dead in a coma, laying on a table where the doctors say, you need to say your last goodbyes, we're going to unplug them and they're going to be gone. And all of a sudden, they wake up. Like God does that, right? There are times when you have an addiction or a struggle, you wake up one morning and it is gone. There are times when your marriage is on the verge of collapse and, and God heals it. There are times when crazy things happen that can only be explained by the power of God. He does that. He is able we serve a God who raises the dead. He is able to do these things. And so whenever we face crisis, the first thing we got to know is that we should pray because our God is able to do what we ask him to do. He is powerful enough to fix any situation. Even when all hope seems lost, God can win the day. But true faith in God has to be bigger than just knowing that he's able. That's only the first part of it. We must also know that he's good. Second, faith is trust that God is good. Not only is he able to deliver, but he is good. Notice what they say to the, the king next. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fire fire furnace, and he will. Here's what, they didn't have confidence about what God would do concerning the furnace, but they have confidence here. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. What's the worst thing you can do to me? Kill me? I'll go to heaven. It sounds better than this place. They, they say, look, God can and very well might save us from this verse. We don't know. But here's what we do know. He will deliver us from you. They knew. They knew that God was good, that he was faithful to his people. He knew that he would deliver them from slavery, giving them a home, giving them a good king in their history. They, they look back and know that God has been faithful to them from Exodus on, right? Like God has done all these great things in their life. Done all these things in their life personally. They know that this God can deliver them from the king. They've seen it in their history. And we have more information than they do, right? We can know that God is good and faithful because we've seen him come to earth. We've seen Jesus enter our suffering, know our pain. We've seen his tender heart and compassion. We've seen his goodness. We've seen his love and dying for us on the cross. We should never again doubt the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God as he deals with our sin in his own body. So when we face hard days, when we face a crisis, and we want to see God act or heal or do something, what does true faith look like? It's placing your trust, not in the outcome, but in a God who is able to deliver you, but knowing that whatever he chooses, whatever the outcome you wanted, or whether it's the outcome you wanted or not, that you can know that the plans of God are good and right. 
We can trust the wisdom of God and put our, put our lives in his care. Listen to this statement. Faith is not measured by the strength of our expectations, but by the substance of our conviction that whatever my God ordains is right. Our faith isn't measured by the strength of our expectations, right? That God do this thing, right? We believe that God will do this outcome, but by the substance of our conviction that whatever my God ordains is right. Our faith must be in God and his plans, not in the absence of pain or difficult circumstances. These guys knew that knew they might burn up, but that God would not abandon them to the grave. That one way or the other, they would get out of the clutches of the king. That they would get out of his clutches either by being saved from the fire or being saved from his terror or rain and brought into heaven. See, in order to trust God with the outcomes of our life, we must be able to entrust ourselves to his care. And in order to do that, we must believe deep down that he is good. They believed he was good because they saw it in their history. They saw it in their own life. We know that God is good because we see Jesus dying on the cross. So do you trust God that he will make the right decisions on behalf of your life? Do you trust that he's good enough and wise enough to make the right call? Parents, you get this. You have a story probably like this one, like Scarlett, uh, who is my second oldest daughter. When she was about two years old, she somehow tripped and got the like, you know how up on your, under your lip you got this like little slit thingy, this little piece of gum thingy? Somehow she tripped and she got it stuck between her two front teeth. And like, we couldn't get it out. Like, I'm trying to pull on it. And she's like, no, 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 no. She's freaking out. And like, we, I'm, I mean, I try, can't get it out. So we go to the ER. Like, hey, her like lip is stuck between her teeth. <laughs> what do we do? And so we ended up taking a sheet and wrapping her body in the sheet with our arms tucked by her side. Right? Because she wouldn't let us look, get near her. So we put her in a straight jacket. I put her in a headlock. Hold her head down. While Kate like holds the lays on her body. And nurses are on her. So that the doctor can get in there and grab her lip and get this thing out from between our teeth. The whole time she's screaming bloody murder, right? Like she thinks we are tr we're trying to kill her. Like she thinks like, this is it. They're, they're putting me down, right? Like we've got her locked down. Like doing, she doesn't understand. But from my perspective, we had to make her go through this temporary pain for her long-term good. We had to make her go through this so that, I don't know, like, well, I don't know what happened, right? It'd be bad though. We had to do this thing for her good. Sometimes God does not answer our prayers or do the things we want him to do. But don't you think he's wiser than you? Don't you think he understands the whole picture better than you do? And don't you think, just like a father to their child, don't you think that God is willing to let us go through some momentary suffering or pain, hurt or loss, because he understands the big picture and it's for our good? Spurgeon said it best. He says, when I can't trust your hand, I'll trust your heart. When I don't understand what God is doing with his hands, I'll trust his heart. I'll trust that he's good. Kids don't get that in the moment, right? We try to pull a splinter out of the kid's hand. You ever try to do that? Don't touch it. Well, do you want to leave it in there? No. Well, can I see it? No. It might hurt for a moment. But you got to know, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. 
And we can't trust his hand, we trust his heart. When you know the goodness of Jesus, it enables you to trust his heart, even when you don't understand the circumstances. God is able to help, he is good, and that means whatever we face, we can face it with obedience. Finally, faith is trust in God that results in obedience no matter the outcome. Faith, it, here's what faith is, it is trust in God that results in obedience, faithfulness to him no matter what the outcome is. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say to the king, no matter what God chooses to do, rescue us or not, know this, we will not serve your gods. It doesn't matter what you do to us. Here we stand. True faith is seen not in predicting what God will do. It is not seen in mustering up belief or purging all the doubt. And faith is seen in action. It is seen when we follow God into the unknown, into the scary, dark future, knowing that his light will always guide us, no matter what troubles come. And if the trouble overwhelms us, he will not abandon us. Though the most difficult pain comes, he will be with us. And we see that in this story. We see that they were faithful and that God was with them. The king plays the music and the friends stand tall and they do not bow to the idol. And the king is enraged and he turns the furnace up hotter than it's ever been. And he has the guards go throw them in. And it's so hot that the guards burn up and die as they throw them into the fire furnace that it's so hot. And after the king finishes his laughing and mocking and thinking that he's won, he notices. He notices that they're walking around in the fire. He says, wait a minute, are they not in the fire? They're walking around unharmed. They're not burned up. They're like... Just in there talking. What's going on? And then he says, wait, did we throw three guys in there? Why is there four? And why is it that one of them appears like a son of the gods? Jesus did not abandon them in their obedience, but came down to save them from the fire and to walk with them through it. Nebuchadnezzar was right. It was a son of the gods, except there was only one God, and it's his son. Do you know how we know Jesus cares about us in our suffering? Do you know how we know Jesus walks with us through the fires like he did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? We know it. Because when Jesus came, he didn't come with a protective coat of armor around him that protected him from the world. When Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago, he suffered. He got hungry. He got cold. He knew what it was like to have friends betray him. He knew what it was like to have friends die. He knew what it was like to be sick and to watch others get sick. He knew what it was to be poor. He knew what it was to be betrayed, to be falsely accused and arrested, to be tortured and to put to death. Jesus knows what it's like to feel the same pains and suffering and heartaches that you do. He knows the same struggles that you do. The Bible says he was tempted in every way like we are. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to hurt. He knows what it's like to walk on this earth and all the pain and the struggles that come with it. And so when you walk through them, you don't walk alone. You walk with a Jesus who has walked in your footsteps and has experienced the things you've experienced and is with you in the fire. 
He is with you in the fire and he won't let you walk alone. Jesus is able to deliver you from any and all earthly harms right now. But he doesn't always deliver. Sometimes he doesn't deliver until the end. Sometimes there's a reason that he gives. There's a reason that he has to put you in a straight jacket. There's a reason that he puts a thorn in your flesh. There's a reason he lets you be sick. There's a reason he lets you lose a loved one. There's a reason he wants you to face that addiction and keep fighting. And you don't understand it. You want your life to be easier. <laughs> but Paul says that the future glory that awaits us isn't worth to be compared to our present circumstances, to the present agonies. Because once you get that, like it's not even comparable to what you're going through right now. It's not even on the same level, you say. Once you get that, you look back and go, oh, that was capable. I needed that to get here. And we can't see it. But sometimes Jesus makes us walk through difficult things for our good. But here's what we know. No matter, no matter if he delivers us or not from earthly trials, he will deliver us from the hand of the king of this world, the powers of this world, because no fire, no hell could ever defeat you in Jesus. Jesus has won the battle. His victory is your victory. And that means that the end of your story is secure. The end of your story is secure. He may not deliver you from a present situation, but he will deliver you from this broken world to live happily, happily ever after in a kingdom with him forever. So when we face crisis on difficult days, here's what we do. Three things. Our response to facing hard days. We ask God to deliver us. We trust God to do what is best, whatever that is. We ask him to deliver us, but we trust that he's good. We trust his heart to do what he knows is best. Not my will be done, but yours. We ask him to deliver us. We trust him that he knows what is best. And then we obey and follow him, whatever comes. We look at the fire and we say, I will not bow. We look at the hardship. We ask God to do something. We trust whatever he does. And we are faithful and obey him, whatever comes. Our faith may be weak. At times, our faith may be weak. But the one your faith is in never falters because he's strong even when you're weak. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. Don't look to your faith. Look to the one your faith is in. Let's pray. Father, this morning we gather and we sing together. We fellowship together. We Link arms together. We walk and navigate the difficult road of following you together. And Father, there are people in this room who are in the midst. You know, some of, some of them have come just out of a season of crisis. Some of them are in the midst of one. And some of them are getting ready for one. And they don't realize it yet. And God, wherever these people are, whether they're coming out or right in the middle or going into a moment of crisis, a moment of difficulty, a moment of challenge or test, God, we pray that you would give them great, extraordinary faith that doesn't trust in their in how much faith they have or, or their ability to, to pray for the right kinds of godly things. Help their faith to be in you and in you alone and to trust whatever you ordain, whatever you do, whatever you, uh, however you work out the situation, it is the best and right and good way. Help them to trust that. And help them to face it with obedience. 
Whatever difficult circumstances come, to be obedient and faithful and godly and holy in their response, no matter the outcome. Knowing that you can deliver, but you will deliver from the difficulties of this world eventually. And Father, for those in this room who cannot or do not have faith right now, that they've placed their faith in faith in something, or they've placed their faith in, uh, in modern philosophy or modern wisdom or some other God, or they've got faith in nothing. God, would you grant them faith this morning that they would trust in you for the first time? If you're here this morning, you do not know Jesus and not place your faith and trust in him. Don't you know he will walk with the fire with you and he will deliver you from the ultimate fire? As we sing this song, come up here and grab me. Let me show you what it means to follow him. Now he will take you home right now. You don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to get better. You just got to come in faith. Trusting him. And if you're here this morning, you need prayer to, to, as you've come out of a situation or you're in the middle of one, or whatever the case may be, you want prayer to, uh, to have faith in him through this situation. Let me pray for you. I'd love to do that. Or if we just need to stand and sing together. Not worried about lunch, but worried about just standing here and singing to our King who is worthy to be sung to because he is good and we trust him and we're nothing without him. We'll stand and sing together. God, give us strength to respond how we need to. We love you in Christ and we pray all his people say. Let's stand and sing together.